Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 254, the December 1989 issue on sale August 15th of 1989. The cover price of a dollar. This one's uh, titled All New, All Different. Here we go again. Is is this going to be our NPR episode? <laughs> yes. Okay, well, on the cover of this one, we see some unfamiliar folks wearing X-uniforms. It's weird. Yet this is a homage to a previous X-Men cover. Indeed it is. It's a <laughs> homage to Giant Size X-Men number one. Wasn't there another one I'm that probably, was an homage to that? I'm prob- Oh, yeah, there's plenty. Uh, uh, Ed Brubaker made his... Um, oh, man. Ed Brubaker's a writer. Yeah, I know, but he, the, uh, the story that he wrote, I feel like, may have been one of his breakout X-Men stories. Uh, oh, De- Deadly that, Genesis. Is it, okay, that's the one where they retcon what happened on Krakoa? Yes. Uh, and on the and it's kind of what got me back into comic books a little bit is because it's giant-sized X-Men number one cover, but it's like a bunch of like skeletons uh, jumping out of the page as an homage to giant-sized X-Men number one. And I believe the cover was John Byrne. And so like the combination of all those elements, I was like, oh, I'm buying this. Oh. I don't remember who the artist of it was, but I recall the art being good and the story being interesting. Um, and then I read the entire, what, six or nine part series, and then Ed Brubaker started writing X-Men, and I read that for a little while. Kind of got sucked in, started reading all new, was it all new X-Men? It was like the New Mutants, but New X-Men is what it was called, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, But not the other New X-Men, just, well, you know. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, I get I get so lost. <laughs> yeah, I I do I be, I did buy a copy of the hardcover of Deadly Genesis. I've never read it. Um, I think it was on sale for like six bucks or something. Um, looks it looks good. Can't wait till we get to it. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's gonna be a real knockout. I yeah. The, this cover makes me feel like Chris Claremont was hoping to go off in a serious new direction. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it just, it just feels like, all right, I've, I've gotten rid of all of the current mainstays. I'm introducing all these new elements. This is my new team and I'm going to do it again. So, um, I, I, I'm sure you noticed, but if you didn't notice, this is the 150th issue since issue 94. Right? Oh yeah, I, d- I didn't notice that. So, so there's kind of a uh, milestone there, um, but I agree. As you look at this cover and as you read the issue, you you do kind of get the sense that maybe Chris Claremont was trying to write Wolverine out into just the Wolverine comic book, uh, and maybe this team was going to focus around the Storm mystery, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm probably wrong about my assumptions, but um, oh, ni- ninety four plus one hundred and sixty is two fifty four. Oh, so whoops, this is this is, this is not that exciting. Math is hard, but still, yeah, it's 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 a hundred and it's a round number, <laughs> ending in a zero, right? It's not like the one hundred and sixty first issue since X Men number ninety four. 
so so yeah i mean i guess i don't have any any based on based on what happens in the next couple of issues it's probably not accurate to say that this was the beginning of a new direction but um you know it feels like maybe maybe for an instant it was supposed to feel like it i don't know it's an well yeah who really does know i mean we kind of got a rapid introduct reintroduction to amanda sefton last issue and she's here on the cover um there was this redone lorna dane with all new power set and they got rid of malice in quick form and she's on the cover and they introduce her we got maura mctaggart she's on the cover she's got like a machine gun uh which harkens back to her first appearance Ah, yes. Yes, yes it does. Uh, Forge here uh, in the front, kind of in the... I'm I'm actually looking at giant-sized X-Men number one. He's in the Colossus pose, more or less. Who's in the Cyclops pose? Uh, Well, that would be Moira, I guess. Okay, so she's... That makes sense. Uh, And then you got Sunder, who, if you're looking at this cover and you haven't read X-Men... And you didn't read the inside of this issue. You may not actually know that that's Sunder, but it is. I just figured that's the new guy. <laughs> and then you got Banshee. He's up on the top. He's 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 got his costume on. He's screaming. He's flying. I mean, I guess from last issue, we know his powers are back. I mean, honestly, you may not know who Legion or Amanda Sefton are either. Right. And then to round out the group, you've got Legion for some reason off in the corner uh, behind Amanda Sefton. And... X-Men proper readers, I don't think, really know who Legion is. He's had to have been in something. Yeah, I mean, mainly he was in New Mutants, but yeah. um, I, I want to, yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up. <laughs> you do that. Woohoo. Uh, anyways, it's, it's a good, it's a good dynamic action packed uh, cover. I mean, I guess you can't really go wrong aping a classic. Um, this would be a T-shirt that I would totally buy because people would look at it and be like, who are those people? Yeah, that would be great. And that would be cool. Uh, color scheme is nice. Everything's on point. So, uh, yeah, I like it. So Legion was not in any issues of Uncanny X-Men at this point, although he was in an issue of, he was in Seeker Wars 2 number one, which I don't remember, but okay. He was probably, <laughs> it was probably a cameo. I would imagine he was probably like in the background. So that's interesting. So there you go. This one's written by Chris Claremont. Mark Silvestri and Dan Green are the artists. Greg writes the colors. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. So Louise Simonson has not taken up the mantle of writing Legion into the New Mutants. So maybe Chris Claremont either didn't allow that or he said, well, you're not using Legion. I'm going to bring him into the X-Men. Sure, sure. I mean, you know as he does, but most of this issue takes place as we find out here on this first panel on Muir Island. And Legion is a guy that hangs out on Muir Island. Although I guess so is multiple man. And he's not featured in this issue. What happened to multiple man? Is he still out hanging with the, um, the, whatever that team was, the, the losers club, (laughs) (laughs) uh, the, the runaways or the, the misfits the yeah there's like a thousand things that i could name them that is inaccurate like the outsiders that's not them uh (laughs) the warriors warriors come out and play um it was that yeah that's not them either it was that team that boom boom was on for a minute fallen angels the joy luck club oh yeah fallen angels (laughs) sisterhood of the traveling pants (laughs) 
<laughs> Anyways, yeah, so uh, we have Moira McTaggart, and she is running some computer stuff against Lorna, and she's like, I don't know what's going on, but you're different. Yeah, and Lorna is in her big form right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the next page, I... <laughs> Moira is definitely different. She's got a mini skirt. She's got super long gloves and she's got like a halter top bathing bikini top, I guess. This feels like Mirror Island is becoming the, uh, the, the Chris Claremont's next Hellfire Club muse. Um, I don't know. And then she's got like a collar too and like big hoop earrings. Like the Moira McTaggart we know is kind of mousy and wears like a laboratory jacket. And this is like... I just went to the mall. Well, we do we do touch upon what's going on a little bit later. Mm. That could be a part of that. Mm. Or it could just be Chris Claremont being all like, Yeah, I just want to put people in latex again. Mm. Or le- or leather, leather, not latex. La- latex and leather. No, I we'll talk about it when we get there, but I think that's probably what's happening because I think that's the thing that we are talking about, I think, is what also happened to Lorna when she was on the boat. Yes, which which is nice that they touch upon that as well. We'll we'll get to that. You skipped the uh, the the credits of this one. No, I didn't. Really? I totally went through all the credits. Oh my god! I'll do I'm it again if you want. Mind. But uh, but I already did. No, it. no, it's okay. Uh, no, I trust I, you. I promise you. Uh, yeah. But so Moira doesn't know what's happened, but we do get confirmation that uh, Lorna is completely free of malice's possession uh but the magnetic powers are all gone however like this the um uh, the genetic um i can't remember what the word is here um the active ability is still there but you just can't get access to it um and zaladane must be your sister because only the genetic structures would be compatible of a family member uh, but because all of that is true, it means that the process could be reversed. So, so Zeladane has Lorna Dane's powers. Evidently. And does So are these powers of Lorna Dane's, Zaladane's powers? What do we know about Zaladane's powers? Anything? I don't know anything about Zaladane's powers. All right. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I kind of always assumed that Lorna Dane's transformation here was just the result of like, uh, Zaladane's torture machine's gone wrong and triggering like a reaction from Lorna. It could be. And Moira's not much help in that either. As she says, I don't know what's going on with your new powers. You're yep. clearly absorbing energy, but uh, I don't know from where. Yep. But hey, Sean's coming back. So maybe he'll be able to help us with some from further tests. Yeah. So, so let's go meet him. And so we switch our attention over to Lillapool just down the rugged west coast of Scotland. Is that Lillipool or Ullipool? I don't, I can't read the lettering. It could be either. It looks like it's either a U or an L-I. I think it's, I think it's a U. Ullipool? Hmm. Feels Googleable, but I'm not going to do it. I'm doing it. <laughs> and we have a reunion between Amanda Sefton and Banshee, who I don't recall them ever meeting, but I'm sure off pages, they probably had like Christmas or something. You know, yeah, I, I think there is a kind of one of those backstory sort of things that never actually happened, but you know, it, they they allude back to the days when Banshee was a uh, criminal. Well, that's with uh, the relationship with um, Brigadier Alisan Stewart. 
Oh, you mean Amanda and Banshee? Yeah. Yeah. Because they wasn't they, she in wasn't he in the X Men when uh, Amanda was dating Nightcrawler? Yeah, but I don't recall like Amanda ever meeting Banshee. But again, that that could just be like you know off off panel Christmas gathering at the mansion. Yeah, but but yes, we we can assume that they met. Uh, but yes, uh, Banshee also has a longer standing relationship with Alice Ann Stewart. Uh, apparently she was hot on his criminal trail for a while. And in fact, the warrant for Banshee is still good. And, uh, Alisand threatens to even, uh, I don't know, take, take up the warrant, bring in, bring in Banshee. But Banshee's like, no, come on, lass. Come on, get on my big boat. It's really big. Remember this boat? No. Alluding to a, a race that oh. we never saw where apparently uh, Banshee uh, escaped the cops. It's a big boat. It's a big boat. Ullapool. I looked it up. And uh, as they get onto the boat, we see some crosshairs. Uh, we see the crosshairs pulling out. And then we see Banshee get shot through the chest. Looks pretty bad, too. Mm-hmm. Bits of his jacket go... Uh, flying so so we know that it went through his chest area he falls into the water and amanda sefton without thinking jumps into the water after him uh alisand is like oh my gosh that he's dead like amanda's wasting her time and now i'm stuck in this boat with no cover yeah i can't leave because i i can't leave allison behind Yep. So she calls she calls out for Mayday and we find out that from the rocks above it is actually the Making Cole and Reese. Yeah, those Reavers. Got to come up the, with like... The, the Hellfire Reavers. Hellfire Reavers. I like it. Uh, and they're like, hey, we got them. She's trading for help. What should we do? And one of them, I don't know who, but it's not Cole, says, we don't want any uh, loose ends. Yo, Reese, I got a clear shot. Should I take it? And he does. Um, however, a hand reaches out of the water and yanks Alisand into the water. And just as she's being yanked into the water, the boat explodes. Skaboom! And under the water, um, Mana Sefton has used her sorceress ability to turn her into a person. And then she does the same to Alisand, allowing her to breathe underwater. Yep. Which Alisand seems to be really into it. And uh, the two of them go rescue Banshee, who's, I guess, still alive. We see some air bubbles coming out of him anyways. And then they kind of they can talk underwater, as merfolk probably could. And yeah, like, of course. Well, now how we can't make it to the hospital in time, and Amanda reminds everybody that she also has the ability to teleport. She can do whatever. Yeah, she's a sorceress. Yeah, uh, man. So she teleports all three of them uh, to Moira's medical bay, and in the process turns them from merfolk back to human and uh moira lorna dane and tom corsi and sharon friedlander uh they walk in and uh, we we haven't seen tom or sharon in quite a while they were new mutants right well they were in the new mutants comic yeah they first appeared in the new mutants and eventually they made their way out to mirror island yeah so they get uh, Banshee all squared away on the bed, get him uh, some IVs. They go call out for the Morlock healer, who I think we identified his name as Healer. <laughs> I thought he was dead for some reason. 
I, or, or, or like the last time he healed, Storm was like, "I know this is the last time you'll be able to heal," but I, I'm clearly just making that up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like we've seen him like drain all of his powers and faint, uh, and possibly die, but I don't really remember. No, well, at any rate, he's back. Yep. Uh, and so Moira's like, well, we're under attack. So, uh, uh, we need, we've got costumes. They offer body armor. They offer protection. So why don't you head over into the changing room and get into those costumes? And Amanda's like, ah, I got this. I'm a sorceress. I'll just conjure up the outfits. And she accidentally conjures up sexy garb for herself, Sharon, Tom, and Alisand. But not Lorna. Lorna's already in an X-Men uniform, but... I, I think it's significant that Lorna's not included in her sorcerer mishap, though. Do you? It could be. It might also not be. Uh, and so everybody's very embarrassed, and, and Amanda's like, Oh my god, that was an easy spell. How could I screw that up? Moira's, mm. Moira's all like, what, stop, what are you doing? Stop acting like children. Go get changed. I have no time for this nonsense. I'm trying to save my man's life. So they head into the gym and they get changed the way normal people do. Uh, Alisand, she she loads up with guns and she's got like a bandolier full of bullets, big gun strapped to her back. And Amanda still can't figure out why that simple spell didn't work. This is where Lorna says, like on the freighter, things were fine when we left the port, but as the voyage went on, the, crane, the crew seemed to go so crazy as though they'd been possessed by something evil. Which I'm really glad they addressed because we were kind of confused by that. And now now it all makes sense. It's all part of the plan. Yeah. And I also like how this is written. It's, it's planting a seed, but not telling you exactly what's happened. Uh, yeah. And I'll be honest. Uh, it wasn't until I was an adult that these little seeds started growing into flowers or more. <laughs> I understood what I thought got a better sense of what was happening whereas as a kid i was just like oh okay weird things are happening that's cool it's the <laughs> x-men tom wonders aloud uh how callisto is uh doing and if she's tied into this and so we cut over to professor xavier's school for gifted youngsters or rather what's left of it and then we go deep underground to where the uh what, what are these guys called morlocks the, the Morlocks, thank you. Well, I went blank on that. <laughs> the Morlocks have kidnapped Callisto, and Mask is now in charge of them. And uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like he wants. Oh, he wants the the codes to get into the X Mansion, or the parts of it that are that Callisto was supposed to lock up. I want and access to the codes to the X Men's basement. I'll just bet you do. <laughs> I'm guessing he thinks that there's treasure money. Technology? I don't know. What he, yeah, it's a good question. What does Mask want? He just wants access to the base. Maybe he just wants a place that's got heat. Yeah, could be. Well, anyways, Callisto's like, I'm not going to tell you. And, uh, you know, you do whatever you want to with me, but when you're done, you better make sure I'm dead, because if I'm not, you will be. I'm going to mess with your fangs. And he does, and he makes uh, Callisto very grotesque. It's uh, it's very like Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Half her face has got like teeth sticking out. Uh, her one good eye is like all bubbled out or bul burp, I don't know, bulbed out. Yep. Could be worse. Could be. At least she's got a mouth and she can breathe. 
Meanwhile, back at uh, Muir Island, Sunder and Legion are hanging out with uh, the mutant kids who I don't know. They're, they say that these are um, to the paranormal and in some cases not even marginally human children known as warpies. So we did cover this issue. It was an issue of Captain Britain. Okay. Where, where a bunch of kids visit captain britain's mansion and have to do with all the stuff that happened and i don't remember how the story went but somehow i guess some of those kids went to muir isle which makes sense and i don't think it's all warpies here i think it's a combination of just different types of kids from different stories that you know I, that, need help yeah it's a it's a big stretch to introduce us to warpies when most of us who read the x-men haven't ever heard of a warpie yeah, I, I, it doesn't matter, I think, which is why it kind of works because it's just like, okay, you don't have to know who the Warpies are because it doesn't really affect this story that much. Just now you know there's a, a group of kids named the Warpies. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to belabor this, but uh, it would have been, I think, more poignant or more uh, to the, interesting if, if the dialogue here would have been like uh, – Sunder's watching the children that were rescued a while back from Captain Britain's mansion. Yeah, I guess it could be. I don't know. Just like children known as the Warpies. You know the Warpies, right? It is weird that they don't, like they they say the last issue that Sunder was in is X-Men 216, but they don't mention when the Warpies were. Yeah. I guess maybe because it was a UK story and you couldn't necessarily get it here. Whoever the editor here is has no idea. Like what that is and so it didn't put the editorial box in it's captain britain number 14 well anyways as sunder and legion are playing with the warpies the wall blows in and it's the reaver reavers the reaver reavers yeah not not the not to be confused with the hellfire reavers you got skullbuster bone breaker and pretty boy all back in action and they're blasting and shooting up Luckily, uh, they all announced themselves immediately. <laughs> yes. Hiya, kitties. I'm Skullbuster, Bonebreaker, Pretty Boy. We're the Reavers. We're the Reavers. And we've come to whore, kill you. We're the Reavers. We're the Reavers. Hey, everybody. We're the Reavers. And so just as they start shooting, Davey, as Sunder calls him. Uh, Danny. Danny. Danny? Oh, he's, yes, Danny, not Davey. There's no Yeah, the, the, uh, they're... They're talking about Legion here. Yes. Puts up a Daniel, force Daniel field. Daniel Holler. I don't know why I thought it was it that it wasn't a David Holler. It's, it's, no. it's I don't know. Well, I don't think so. Uh, anyway, so Legion's got a shield up, uh, and he Sunder tells the child the warpies to go find the bunker. And, yeah. Uh, Get to the bunker. We we have a little dialogue here. Daniel Holler called legion because each of his powers is controlled by a separate completely individual personality and on the next panel unfortunately not all of them are nice and he develops an evil smile and his force field just covers him allowing sunder to take a whole bunch of bullets danny why'd you drop your shield the warpies though not hurt are running run run help help and uh skullbuster or is this bone breaker is this bone breaker comes up to finish the job of Sunder, but Tom Corsi appears in the hallway and blasts at him, destroying his treadmill. And uh, then Lorna shows up. Nice shooting, Tom. 
You get an, a cool action panel of bone breaker, like a little steel, I don't know, windshield popping up to block uh, bullets from hitting him in his flesh parts. And then his body kind of leaning back as he starts shooting with his guns. I got a bulletproof shield to cover me, pal. Don't bear to me like you're so lucky. And yes, Lorna does show up and, and everybody has mistaking her for She-Hulk because she's yeah, big and has green a, hair. Which is, does She-Hulk have green hair? I don't remember. I think so. Yeah, I guess she has green hair and green skin. I always just think of her as green skinned. Yep. Oh, well. So, yeah, she uh, throws a chain with a hook on it and hooks into Bonebreaker's chassis and starts pulling it towards her. Uh, Skullbreaker, Bonebreaker, Bonebreaker and Pretty Boy are trying to pull away. I'm trying, Bone, but she's a powerhouse. They start shooting at her, but uh, bullets don't really affect her because of the combination of the X outfit and also her impervious skin invulnerability whatnot evidently bone breakers latches are jammed so pretty boy can't break his torso loose from the harness no man that's the worst so i guess the plan there would have been just to drag bone breaker out of the tank chassis (laughs) (laughs) throw him over his shoulder and be like i got bone breaker and then legion whose side we're not really sure who's he's on yet uh breaks the chains and so Lorna goes flying one way and the bad guys go flying the other direction and he goes, ha ha. Yep. And that's when Skullbuster shows up behind Danny Holler, 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 and says, so tell me, kid, what's so funny? Whose side you on anyway with a big gun? And, and uh, he, Legion starts him on fire. Kid's not just telekinetic. He's pyrotechnic too. I'm burning. Uh, Tom is like, Danny, are you okay? Let's catch up with the others. Daniel is, uh, Legion says, will they attack again? Will there be more fighting? Afraid so. Good. I can't wait. This is fun. So, so Legion is Professor X's kid. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, because his wife is, or not his wife, the, the, his mother is somebody else holler. Yeah. I don't remember her. G- Gabrielle holler. Yes, who hung out with Magneto and the professor back in the day. Uh, doesn't, didn't Moira have a messed up mutant kid? Or did that kid die? That was Proteus. That was Proteus, that's right. And yes, he's dead, but he probably comes back. I often get Proteus and Legion confused. Me too, actually. So, all right. Uh, we turn our attention to time. In fact, I combine those two stories and I assume that <laughs> it's like Moira brings the professor to help with her own child uh, because it's his child. And I just, just combine the two parents and child into one. And you think that Moira and Professor Xavier had a child together and it was Legion Proteus? Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty sure I've made that confusion as well. Uh, but we're in time now. It's Destiny. She's, uh, I don't know, on some sort of time plane. She's seeing some maybe various, I don't know, futures possibly. She's having a vision, which reminds me of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, I don't really know what this is about. Everybody's crystal. Lots of crystals. I guess we'll find out later. Yeah, she's in a crystal living room with a crystal fireplace, a crystal chandelier, crystal table, crystal chairs, and 
And she walks a little bit further and there's like a bunch of crystal shards. And in the midst of that is Mystique as a crystal uh, statue. Uh, she calls out Raven. But then we get a little dialogue that says, Raven Darkholm, the name she chose for herself, just like she did the code identity Mystique. She has never looked more lovely. This is the Raven I know, her spirit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and courage and passion that I have loved from the moment we met. So I feel like this is also confirmation that Chris Claremont had intended these two to be lovers, which is cool, which is fine. Uh, it continues on as well, which I, I, I wonder if like, other writers in the future just didn't make the connection or something. Cause it is sort of, it's not concrete enough, but oh yeah, well. well, I feel like it's the early nineties, so they're being vague. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it, they're being vaguely obvious, <laughs> right? It could go either way. Vague enough that you don't have to embrace it if you don't want to. And okay. obvious enough where if you're smart, you get it. A concerned parent could be like, no, 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 no. They love each other like sisters. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they, they go on and, and it's not just Raven that's here. You see the Fantastic Four in Crystal. Uh, you also see some other people I don't recognize. Yeah, I don't know who any of these people are. There's three people in the foreground uh, that look, they're, they are not generic drawings of people, yet I can't tell who they're supposed to be. <laughs> They have a, They have similar costumes. Are these like Freedom Force costumes? I don't know. I don't know who this girl would be. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah anyways, it keeps going. Uh, and then out from all of the crystal, it turns into kind of a mountainscape. We get the moon out. There's like a maybe a dragonfly or a mosquito or, or some sort of a bug that is not crystal. I have no idea if that means something. And then evolving from all of it is destiny kind of becoming more or less one with the universe. Yeah, very similar to the Wolverine thing that happened where he becomes kind of a giant cosmic entity. Uh, the, the beings that live on their attendant worlds no more. I weep without knowing whether from grief at what it's been lost or the joy th uh, at the indescribable glory that remains. Yeah, whatever. Oh, meanwhile, throughout all of this dream, you've got the ticking of a clock. And then as we turn to this page, we've got the bonging of midnight. Hey, this reminds me of that issue one of Spider-Man when McFarlane had that constant noise soundtrack. I wonder if he read this and he was like, that's neat. I'm going to steal this one day. <laughs> uh, and with those tears, the awareness that my moment has come. Yet even as glory envelops me, I hear... Some small part of me shriek a denial, calling me on to fight and somehow save myself. Too late. And then the crystal, uh, well, Destiny's turned into crystal. And as the, I guess the clock has struck midnight, uh, she explodes. As you do. Yep. And then we are in Mystique and Destiny's apartment, which I got to be honest, like if Mystique and Destiny live in like a New York apartment, I feel like it's an odd couple scenario. And I want to see that show. Yeah, that's a great kind of sitcom right there. In fact, maybe that's a, a pitch for Disney Plus. <laughs> but when you do De when you do Mystique, you got to do Mystique like the comics. Don't make it like like naked Mystique. Like make she wears clothes. She's got red hair. She's got blue skin. Yeah, she's wearing like a power suit. <laughs> totally, it's like a Chanel pink power suit. <laughs> uh, she comes in. She's got like the mail or something. Uh, so just like normal, like we're not evil. We don't have guns. We're not shooting the X-Men. Destiny's drinking some coffee or tea, I guess. 
She calls her Irene, which I don't I don't care for that. It's either Irene or Rini. You you can't mix the two. You had a rough night. Is anything the matter? Just dreams. <laughs> for a precog, that's nothing to sne- sneer at. And so if you continue down the track that they're lovers, like, why does she know that Irene had a rough night? Because they share the same bed, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. And she gives her a big hug from behind, which is something you do when you're very close to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never done this to any of my friends ever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much only ever done this sort of hugging maneuver to somebody I've been intimate with. Yeah. So, Adam, if I if I ever hug you from behind like this, you know that I'm after more than just <laughs> your friendship. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> just heads up on that. That's all. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and so, yeah, pre-cog, for a precog, it's nothing to sneer about. Did you see anything to worry about? Uh, Destiny's like, I don't know. Whatever, Not sure. Whatever comes, old duffer, we'll face I it together. I need a nap. <laughs> we'll face it together, as always. The phone rings, and Destiny knows that that's Valerie Cooper. She has a mission for Freedom Force, and for some reason, I guess, to show that Mystique has powers, she transforms her image into the likeness of Valerie Cooper. Which is confusing because she says, Behold our mistress's face to match her voice. Good morning, Val. Yeah. That's what's the emergency. It's it's totally for us. It's not for it's not for destiny. She well, can't see it. Well, obviously. <laughs> okay. I guess, yeah. Uh by the way, Mystique's a shape changer. Yeah, exactly. I, and and I wonder if she also takes on the voice of, I know in the movie she does. So she probably does in the comics too. Well, I feel like that's what the dialogue is saying here. But why would she answer the phone as Valerie talking to Valerie? <laughs> it's just a freaker out. <laughs> Seems like a mystique sort of thing to do. Wait, am I on the phone with myself? Are you, <laughs> uh, are you me from the future? <laughs> Anyways, uh, so um, Hellfire Reavers have jetpacks and they're flying over the water because they need to get uh, Amanda... Well, actually, I don't know what they're doing. Well, they're they're finishing up the, the they they say, "Hey, Reese, we already popped Banshee. Who's they? Who they got left? That's any real threat?" And that's when Amanda Sefton says, "Me." So I guess um, we've got X Men in the mansion with the Warpies, and we've got X Men outside for this threat. Well, it's not really a mansion. What is it? It's like oh, the, uh, yeah. the Murile Center for stuff. The research lab. Mutant facility facility. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she uses her powers and she's able to make one of the reavers. I don't remember who, uh, she makes their jetpacks all go wonky. Yeah. And she's able to, um, throw up a force shield, but, uh, they're only slowing the bullets. They're not stopping them. That's odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, she catches somebody with some sort of energy bonds, but he breaks free. But that and shouldn't then she be- realizes, well, yeah, yeah, that shouldn't be possible. But then she realizes, yeah, as you were going to say, that they're cyborgs and she only affects their flesh part, not their synthetic parts. She only has like partial control over the Reavers. It's kind of like half magic. Mm-hmm. And that's when Alisand shows up with a like an Uzi or something and just starts shooting. Breaka, breaka, breaka. Uh, and she, she manages to shoot Macon, who says, I'll live, Cole. Who's up there? And they say that it's General Allison, who's a general who actually knows her business. Who'd have thought? And they blow out the, the cliff face from underneath her so that it 
causes her to fall to the ground and then somebody rescues her. And there's a joke that I didn't get where he says, uh, whoever, whoever rescues her, he says, uh, or whoever sees them rescue says, never should have showed him my tape of a fish called Wanda figure. He's auto incarnate an improvement over Rambo. At least now he has a sense of humor. So I've never seen a fish called Wanda. So I didn't get this. I have, but and I you still didn't get it. No. And I don't know even what the part is. I and think it's, it's, I think it's the, the fact that he's being, uh, that he saves her. I don't know. I think it's be nice, babe, or we'll try this again. That's not the line. Or maybe I'll miss the catch. Oops. What a mess. I'm thinking it's that last part. Maybe, maybe, but, uh, I haven't seen a fish called Wanda for a very long time. So, you know, it's been on my to-do list for, for a long time and it's not really one of the higher ones. It's got a lot of people. Like, I know, I, I'm sure it's a great movie um, based, it, based on the cast alone. Yeah, you got like John Cleese. Uh, yep. You got that guy. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. That's who, that's who Jamie, I think. I feel like that is Otto, but I, I don't know for, for a fact. You got Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can remember. Yeah. But that's enough. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyways. Uh, Mystique has made her way to the headquarters of Freedom Force, which I feel like is in the basement of the Pentagon, but they don't actually say that. Uh, Maybe. And she's like, no! Well, wait, didn't didn't uh, Mystique and Destiny used to have an apartment at the Pentagon? Hmm. Maybe. So do they just, like, go down the hall? <laughs> yeah. We live here. Yeah, and uh, uh, Forge is there, and she's like, "I'm not going to work with Forge. Forge yeah. killed the X Men and my my uh, foster daughter." Moira McTaggart's research center is under attack, says Forge. We got to go help him. And Destiny's like, "Yeah, we should probably do this, you know, future things." <laughs> Mystique is like, "Oh, all right, yeah, I suppose you want us to help." Forge so that you can get him back on the paycheck designing weapons for the United States. And Mallory Cooper says, well, yeah, but you yeah, know, but, you can, you, that's, you can, you, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> and so Mystique gives in. Then she says to Destiny, did I do the right thing? And Destiny says, you could, you, you did the only thing good for all of us. And pretty soon you're going to be fairly um, intimate with Forge. And Mystique says, that'll be the day. You should think more kindly towards Forge Mystique, considering how intimately your futures are intertwined. I don't know if that's a thing that plays out. Maybe it does. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we'll they, don't, they don't mean that they become lovers, but I feel like right. they're they're intimating, or Chris Claremont's setting the seeds that somehow Mystique and Forge are going to go on missions together or something. Could be. Or maybe in the grand plan of uh, Chris Claremont rebooting the X-Men, maybe there was a play for Mystique to actually switch sides and join the X-Men for a while. Maybe. Yeah, we don't know. Who knows? All right, well, Morlock Healer, he's uh, he's healing Banshee. Yep, bring him back to consciousness, Healer. <laughs> That's not my name. <laughs> uh, Sean wakes back up. Uh, they're like, all right, well, we're still under attack. What are we going to do? And Moira's like, well... We need your sonic scream, Banshee. I know you need sleep and you were just shot pretty much through the heart, but up and at him. And Sean thinks to himself, Moira's so changed inside as well as out. 
as though all the wild warrior Highlander parts of her nature have suddenly pushed to the fore, overwhelming her gentler side. This is where we're getting that this is all because of Lorna. Or is it because of Lorna? Yes. Yeah, you think so? I don't know. Maybe. We'll talk at the end of the issue. Okay. Uh, uh, So, yeah, uh, um, she grabs Sean by the back of his head and uh, pulls him close to give him a kiss, like very, like, domineering, like, give me that kiss. It's almost like a farewell kiss. Kind of, yeah. Meanwhile, though, um, you got Sunder. Sunder is beating the crap out of Skullbuster. Yeah, just smashing and smashing and smashing. But then uh, he's like, yeah, your bullets can't hurt me because my skin uh, is pretty much invulnerable. Uh, and then Pretty Boy shoots him in the back with armor-piercing bullets, and I'm guessing Sunder's dead. I believe that this is the last appearance of Sunder in a comic book. So, and yes. Interesting that they showed him on the cover with an X-Men uniform, because I would have liked to have seen that, but... Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a it's, it's like Sylvester just put together all of the characters in the comic and put them in X-Men uniforms because honestly, Forge doesn't even appear with these people. Right, right. Yeah, it's probably so. more conceptual than anything else. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. you jazzed up. Ooh, new X-Team. So, I, I can see where this is going. Totally. So so Pretty Boy uh, and uh, uh, Bonebreaker uh, get Skullbuster out from underneath Sunder, and they're like, all right, well, let's go find the, the X-Men, the rest of these people, let's kill them, and that weird kid that seems to be switching sides. How does Bonebreaker have new treads? Did they bring, like, a spare pair of treads, and they just went and, like, swapped them out? He's got a spare chassis. I feel like the chassis looks a little different. Like, I feel like he's more forward in the chassis, but it could also just be an inconsistent drawing of the same chassis. Let's get the secondary chassis. <laughs> yeah, there's like a drop ship with like seven or eight chassis. Pretty Boy's got like another crappy body that he can switch into. They talk about how uh, Lorna Dane looks like She-Hulk again. She-Hulk? Bone, we ready to take on the Avengers? Yeah, we'll take them all on. Woo! Party! We'll drop them stone cold dead. So, I don't know, and maybe it's obvious well this is the end of the issue by the way in two weeks it's uh burn and churn or something crash and burn crash and burn burn and churn burn and churn my i i think that all of the weirdness and wonkiness that's happening around muir island including the arrival of lorna has everything to do with david holler oh that's certainly a possibility i mean that that could be what happened on the freighter although why would that have happened on the freighter if Holler was, or uh, Legion was not, was, is Legion, like, how, how does Legion have to do with what happened on the freighter? I don't know. I feel like just weird things are happening within a radius of Muir Island, and maybe as that freighter ship got close to Muir Island, they got affected. Uh, again, I could be way wrong, and the next issue will be like, yeah, it's Lorna. Was there anything in 250 that, where Lorna first got her powers, where there was any signs of people going a little bit crazy? Havoc, maybe, but other than that, I don't think so. Interesting. Okay. I, mean, I feel like they made some comments about how Havoc was like, oh, kill them all. I don't even care. But I also thought we were just chalking that up to his many bad lucks with women. Yeah, we that that seems like it was all before Lorna and yes, didn't seem connected. I agree. So, well, guess we'll find out. Yeah, man. Put a put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. Y'all. 
yeah, so let us know what you think about uh, this this brave new direction in the X-Men, or most people that are at this point in the podcast probably know what's coming up. Maybe not, not. me. It's all kind of a blur. Like, I just have, like, bits and pieces of what's coming up, and I guess I'm interested to see how this story unfolds to see if... You know, if were they going to go down this direction of these guys as being the X Men, but then pivoted quickly, or in the next issue are we going to see some uh, more Storm, more Wolverine, more Jubilee? I don't know. I don't remember. I know some stuff, but at the same time, I read it so long ago that I don't know how far away the stuff that I know is. So there's there's a lot of gaps for me to be filling in. Yeah, things are happening though. Things are coming up. Hmm. Know, know you that yeah that you know no joke <laughs> Anyways, joke you know uh, visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast follow us on twitter at danger room go email us danger room at xmen excuse me xmenpodcast.com uh, go out to itunes and uh, subscribe to us uh, leave us some feedback leave us some stars do all those fun things Pick us up on patreon.com forward slash danger room where you can see some exciting patron levels uh, for you to subscribe to. And Woo! Yeah. Don't forget that our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And I read some of our supplemental material, but not all of it. Which ones did you read? I read a page or two of New Mutants. <laughs> the two pages that involved... Uh... What's his face? Magneto? Magneto wasn't in this one. Wasn't the oh one of the things we read. Did this you one. read the wrong issue again? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, that has happened before. It and sure has. Let me thumb through this here real quick. Um hmm. Did you did you read Excalibur? Oh, I didn't read this. <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna have to uh you're gonna have to bring me up to speed with what's happening in Richter. With uh not Richter, with uh what's his face? Richter is in this issue. Not Richter, though. Uh, yeah, what is that guy's name? Who's the kid from Deadpool 2? No, the fire guy. Yeah. 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 Kid from Deadpool 2. No. Yeah, that was the kid from Deadpool 2. Rusty. Two. Yeah, that was Rusty in Deadpool 2. No, Dead, I, can't, I cannot say Deadpool 2. That wasn't Rusty. Yeah, that was Rusty Collins. No, They named wasn't. him. They did yes, not. it was. No. I don't believe you. I'm looking it up. Look it up. You're right. They did call him Rusty. I know. That wasn't my Rusty, though. That's not X-Factor Rusty. Well, that's that's who it was. I guess it all makes sense now because he had his fire powers. <laughs> yep. Oh, they call him Russell, an angry teenage mutant. Uh, it was he, a reference to Rusty. Is he Russell Collins or is he just Rust Russell? I'm pretty sure he's Russell Collins. I'm looking it up. Uh, Hmm. Oh, I hate IMDb. They never can sort <laughs> these things right. Let's go to Wikipedia. Oh, uh, you're right. Full-figured mutant Russell Collins. Full-figured? Fat, I guess. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> that's a weird way to describe him. Must assemble a team and protect a young, full-figured mutant Russell Will Collins, a.k.a. Firefist, from Cable, yeah. a no-nonsense dangerous cyborg from the future and almost... And must also learn the most important lesson of all, to be part of a family again. I never made that connection. That's sad, Jeremy. I thought you were a real Rusty Collins fan. 
I am a Rusty Collins fan. I'm <laughs> just not a Russell Collins fr- uh, fan. Mm. Excuses, excuses. So I did read Excalibur number 16. Well, let's cover that. Excalibur number 16. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Uh, in Excalibur number 15, we left off at the cliffhanger of um, Captain Britain and Megan, kind of like in the future dystopian, like dead with just laying on like some dusty ground. Uh, and this, this is the prelude to that. Yeah, this issue has nothing to do with that. Uh, well, this is this is what leads up to that, I'm assuming. Or maybe yeah, they oh, just yeah. completely forgot that. No, I no, because they reference it at the very end. But it's a swashbuckling uh, nightcrawler story in which he shows up in the, some the, alternate uh, reality. The cover is oh. an homage to John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Oh, which I'm I'm assuming that there are a ton of John Carter from Mars references throughout this issue. But since I know very little about John Carter from Mars, they all went over my head. And maybe that's why on the cover it says Kurt Wagner, warlord of question mark. Yeah. I, were there as many scantily clad women in John Carter as there are in this issue? Probably. Cause then maybe I want to see that movie that nobody went and saw. It's not a great movie. You saw it's, it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw it. I didn't see it in theaters, but, um, it's not a bad movie either. It's just it's just kind of like it's just kind of like one of those movies where you're like, well, that wasn't terrible. It uh, just could have been so much more. Okay. It, it some it somehow was missing something. Like I don't know what it is about some films that just work on a different level than other films. This one doesn't work on that extra special level. It's by no means a bad film, but it's also not something that's terribly memorable. That is my John Carter of Mars review. I loved it. Uh, so Nightcrawler <laughs> shows up on this question mark planet, I guess. Uh, there's all of these other Nightcrawly looking people that are fighting all of these normal flesh colored people. Nightcrawler accidentally, well, he, he teleports or he, he pops into existence and lands on a blue woman, uh, which prompts all the blue guys that look like him to attack uh, and Nightcrawler handily defeats all of them. And then this super hot blonde girl is like, thank you. Let's make love. And they make love lots. Yeah. There's a, there's kind of a recurring joke that they, so, so there's, there's a framing device where somebody is telling this story, yes. assuming it's Phoenix. And, uh, they, she keeps kind of referring back to those parts. And the people that are listening are like, oh, I hate all this, uh, touchy feely stuff. All the mushy stuff. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix and Kitty, they end up in like a meat locker. Neither one of them has their powers, but we get some references back to Kitty Pride and Wolverine where she's like, hey, I was almost a ninja. I can wiggle free of these ropes, things like that. Um, and there's like this. Uh, that's that's a good line. I ever tell you about how I almost, how I almost became a demon ninja? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great line. And and I feel like only like the, the deepest of X nerds would, would get it. And yeah. somehow that joke uh, works. Whereas the Warpies didn't work for me so much. You could just because you didn't remember them. That's true. So they're on like a planet of like these red dudes and then these kind of purple dudes that look like uh, muscly Lockheeds, sort of. But m- maybe I'm just seeing too much into this alien race. Nightcrawler has a lot of 
Whoopi with the blonde girl. But then we find out that the blonde girl is actually evil and the blue people are actually the good people of this planet. And Nightcrawler's like, oops, I made the mistake. It's true. Uh, yeah, and like there's a giant monster and they all connect and they fight the giant monster. It's a giant tentacle monster that eats Kitty and Captain Britain and everybody. Not Captain Britain. He's not in this issue. Well, he is. He's inside of the tentacle monster already. Oh, you're right. And so is Megan. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the dragon engine. Yeah. yeah, the big the big dragon. Yeah. Uh, the blonde-haired girl, she's got like this kind of like gross-looking skinned guy who's got like a hood on that she takes everywhere. And uh, the uh, blue woman... She is eventually able to knock out the the blonde woman, kind of take over, and uh, she accidentally kills. Well, no, she doesn't accidentally kill the mutated guy. She kills the mutated guy, pulls off its hood, and realizes that it's her long-lost father. And she's like, oh, Oh, no. Oh, my God, this is awful. Her name is Kimri. 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 Does it matter? No, it doesn't, but, <laughs> you know, it just makes it easier to have names. Meh, blue girl. Instead of saying blue blonde girl, girl, blonde girl. It's all the same at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, anyways, blonde girl gets up and she's getting ready to stab blue girl. And uh, she f- stops suddenly and falls off the edge. And we see that Kitty has used some of her samurai abilities presumably yeah to stab but there's a few lines in here i skipped over them where she's like thanks wolvie for your training and references to wolverine and her time in in japan it took me a few few looks to understand what happened in these panels because in the first panel the uh blonde girl whose name is like anjali or something like that mm-hmm. is about to kill kaimori um and then in the next panel somebody is just free falling uh, but i thought because of the, where the tentacle creature is, I thought they were actually flying upwards. And then they just cut to a panel of Kitty, who's just standing there with a sword. And I was very confused. Oh, I got it. But, yeah, I, I, it took, I, eventually I got it. Well, then the tentacle monster grabs everybody and eats everybody. Nightcrawler realizes that the tentacle monster is slightly afraid of Phoenix, so he grabs Phoenix and tosses her into the uh, mouth of the tentacle monster and the tentacle monster explodes, which leaves us not knowing how the story ends because the storyteller, still hooded, is saying, the story's far from over. Tune in next month. For what happened next. So, good issue. Uh, Alan Davis, can't go wrong. Paul Neary, it's good stuff. Probably more meaningful if you know more about John Carter of Mars, maybe. Well, I feel like, you know, they're, they're creating a nine-part series that you said I think goes ultimately to 12 parts I think so um, and I don't want to call this a filler issue but I think they're just having fun with oh let's do a you know they did kind of all of the various random things in an issue or two or I think it was last issue while um, the oh, I can't remember anybody's name <laughs> while the weird gang did their story and so now uh, they're like yeah. paying homage to John Carter here and good old weird gang. Yeah, good old weird gang. I can't remember the name. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what about uh, New Mutants number 83? <sighs> New Mutants is a struggle, I tell you. I mean, it's and it's not it's not that it's bad. It's just that I have very little interest in uh, Asgard. 
which is which is odd for me because I like Thor, but I realize I only like Thor when he's on Earth. Mm-hmm. I I don't care about Asgard. I yep. really just just don't. I, and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do, and that's great. So this story is probably great for you, but for me, it, it's just like. I always put it off until last because I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, we're still in that Asgard story. <laughs> well, then just talk about Rusty. I don't care about Asgard. Uh, so Rusty is trapped in jail, and he's only in two pages. And uh, they bring in the vulture into the jail, and it's basically a setup for Acts of Vengeance. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yes, yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, those are the only pages I read in X Factor number 48, or 49, rather. Okay. And X Factor number 49, we see... Uh, oh, I'm going to do New Mutants number 83. Oh, sorry. I'm not, I'm not skipping over it. I thought we didn't care. We don't care. <laughs> oh, okay. But I read it, Carry so I'm on. doing it. Okay. Uh, I, I want to at least get through this Asgard story. So, uh, so Boom Boom and the uh, wolf guy and... Uh, Warlock are kidnapped by an ice giant, but a bigger guy rescues them. Then there is a storyline where the sword of the Hela is having Yitri create, who is the like dwarf guy, um, gets created. And the, so we finally figure out what Hela's plan is, which is she's going to have Danny, who is now a full-on evil Valkyrie, uh, use this sword that Hela is creating out of Uru metal, which is the same metal that Thor's uh, hammer is made out of, to kill these sleeping Odin. And that's, that's her whole plan. Mm. So we learn that. The New Mutants attempt to uh, follow the plan by rescuing some people that she has kidnapped, and then they steal the sword, and they get chased around until uh, their Valkyrie friend becomes totally evil. Her name is Mist, and she ends up pushing them off the cliff, supposedly killing them, although probably not. She probably it was probably her last act of good was somehow saving them. I'm suspecting. And, um, there's like this one guy in here who looks like the, the, the guy from the movie, the last, the Thor Ragnarok movie, the guy with a machine gun. Oh yeah. Uh, looks like him probably is him. Might not be. I don't know. I can't tell as guardians apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Danny manages to get the sword back when Hela rescues it, and uh, it looks like Boom Boom and um, Warlock and Hrim Harry, <laughs> I think is his name, who is the wolf guy, are are going to head towards Asgard with the the new the new giant godlike creature in the ice world. So that that's what happens. There's an earthquake. When Hela gets the sword back, that's that's where we end up. Mm. Well, I'm I'm glad we covered that, Adam. Now I want I uh, I want you to repeat at least like three things that you remembered from what I just said. Hela. <laughs> okay, that's one. Machine gun guy from Thor Ragnarok. Okay, okay, not as relevant, but okay. <laughs> um, don't care about Asgard. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, equally uncaring about Asgard is this whole story that's happening in X Factor on this planet I don't care about. Uh, I was interested um, in this Acts of Vengeance tie-in because 
my recollection of acts of vengeance when i was a kid was like it was just this thing that happened and in the corner of my favorite comics it said acts of vengeance and that was like it <laughs> <laughs> but um i think at the time i maybe had a few issues of spider-man some x-men i don't even know if i had x-factor issues at that point uh, but whatever they were trying to do didn't seem to be making it to those pages. Maybe maybe a little in in the Spider-Man issues I was reading. But anyways, uh, I it's interesting to see the origins of this story um, be planted in these issues. Uh, but midway through X Factor uh, number forty nine, Apocalypse is on I don't know a ship, a satellite, or something. He's monitoring Earth from somewhere. Wait, let me stop you there. Mm. We're, we're doing X-Factor number 48. <laughs> You're a week ahead. Damn it. Well, then <laughs> then I, I, I will pause that thought. Okay. You hold on to that. Do we not have any Acts of Vengeance in 49? 48, uh, rather? In 48, there's no Acts of Vengeance. I was wondering where you were going with this. Hmm. But okay. uh, there's a reading list. I create a reading list every week. Wow. It's got a lot on my mind, Adam. Got a lot <laughs> on my mind. Well, That's I didn't. Fair. I didn't read this at all. All right, so X Factor number forty-eight. Um, the oh boy, <laughs> the the one guy who are the rejects. They sell Jean Grey to the other team who are not the rejects, the chosen. Um, Paul Smith is doing the art. That was fun. Remember yeah, him? I mean, it's a good cover. The issue is not that great. This cover of Jean Grey. Yeah. I hate this cover. Like this, this cover. If I saw this on a T-shirt, I would burn it. <laughs> the face is weird. I I like her crazy hair. I know it's a good like figure, but it just looks weird. It does. I don't like it. It's also by Paul Smith. Uh, you know, he's he's like one of those X-Men guys. I I hear you. Uh. Let's see. Oh, you know what was interesting about this is we finally learned, or at least I finally understood, that ship is just a, um, what are those guys, Celestials? He's just a machine that was sent to Earth to collect data for the Celestials. Mm, that, that is interesting. So I, I had no idea that kind of ship has a sort of origin. That gets revealed. Does it at all talk about how ship happened to land in the control of Apocalypse? Yeah, it sort of mentions that uh, he got taken away from his original um, uh, intention when Apocalypse did that, and he sort of lost his memory. And now being surrounded by Celestials, they just want the data. And he's like, "Oh, I guess I'm, I guess I'm, I'm adding more to this story than there actually is. It's a, it's a page. <laughs> I see it here." Yeah, it's the last page. Yep. I know what I am, what they are. Those celestials have come here to judge and to destroy the unworthy. Was that the answer always in my database blocked from access by some special code? Or did I not want to remember? But how can I How can I want? I'm a machine. Desire should have never been a factor. Uh, and he escapes. Because all the, all the celestials are headed towards the planet that X-Factor is on, presumably because they're just going to destroy it. There's three of them right now surrounding the city where the Chosen are living. Um, Jean Grey reunites with her baby. Uh, she calls him Christopher in one panel. And then on the next panel, she calls him Nathan. And when she calls him Nathan, he puts up a bubble because I guess that's supposed to mean that she's Madeline now. Oh. And so he's protecting herself from Madeline. Hmm. So that was kind of interesting. 
Um, they release, they do an exchange of prisoners and they release a guy who heard about Beast from Archangel, so they let Beast go. And now they're just going to try and uh, rescue Archangel. That's that's the whole plan. Iceman still doesn't have his memory. That's X-Factor number 48. I can't wait to hear about X-Factor number 49. I'll talk all about it next week. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Wolverine number 17. Did you read this one? I looked at the cover. It's kind of an okay cover. Yeah, it's kind of okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, I, I, I own all these issues, and I don't really remember this story that well, so it was kind of interesting rereading it. I don't remember this storyline starting out in Madripoor. Uh, basically, this is about, there's a weird opening that takes place in the past when Wolverine is still with the X-Men, and he kills a, what is this, a warthog? He kills a warthog and eats it. It's kind of weird. And then Storm catches him doing it and rinses him off with rain. And he's like, I don't want you to see me like this. And Storm's like, we're your family. And he's like, yeah, I get that, but that's, I can't let the animal out. So this whole thing is about the animal that's inside we- of Wolverine. That's weird. I don't know. Archie Goodwin is writing. I don't know that Len Wein or Chris Claremont ever intended for Wolverine to be eating raw warthog. But whatever. other than that, Archie Goodwin, I think, is a pretty decent. He's got the voice of Logan down. But yeah, I, I, that, this was weird. It didn't feel like probably when I was reading this as a kid, it, since I didn't have as much experience with Wolverine, I was like, oh, that's weird. But nowadays it just is like that doesn't feel right at all. Anyway, he's fighting with Roughhouse and Roughhouse. Uh, he beats Roughhouse in Madripoor and Roughhouse is like. And his enemy, but he's also his favorite sparring partner. Um, there's some stuff about how he's still Patch, but now people realize that he's Wolverine. He's kind of okay with that for a select few group of people. This new villain named Geist, I don't know if it gets revealed in this issue that he's Geist, but he buys Roughhouse off of General Nikoi. I think that's his name, General Koi, Nagoyan Koi. What's her name's father? Yeah. Her uncle, uncle. Shan Koi Man. Yeah. Shan's uncle. Sure. I think. <laughs> uh, there's this whole thing about how drugs came into Madripoor and Wolverine figured out that there were drugs in Madripoor. So they, the people that put them in Madripoor have to buy them back and then are exporting them. So Wolverine follows the boat out. And that's kind of where the adventure goes. And that's where he figures out about Rough House. There's a... Um, he sleeps, he, he talks about Mariko at the beginning of this, and then he sleeps with Tiger Tiger, uh, which is kind of odd. And Tiger Tiger apparently co-ops Patch's Patch. Yeah, because uh, she knows that he's Wolverine. Yep. You, you don't care. Nope. I guess, otherwise I guess it helps maintain the secrecy, our illusion that Wolverine and the X-Men are all dead, but maybe what it really helps me is to fool myself. Oh. <laughs> um... And based on earlier in the issue when he's talking to Storm, he's referencing Psylocke and Gateway is still there. So the, all of these events happened before the events of what's happening in Uncanny X-Men now. Yep. Uh, there is a Daredevil section where Daredevil fights a guy who's on the cocaine that is part of the plot of this story. How come all of these panels are rounded? 
because it's a flashback oh. or, or because it's not a part of the main story. I don't know because it's daredevil. It was a little, a little weird, but it's supposed to feel like it's slightly different. Yeah, it is. I, I, I guess it is uh Geist telling what's his name? Roundhouse. The story of the cocaine. Roughhouse. Roughhouse. Roundhouse. <laughs> Wasn't that a movie? Uh, no, that's something else house. You're thinking of Roadhouse. Roadhouse. So <laughs> many houses. How, yeah. how do you keep all these houses straight? Well, then there's just that movie called House. And House 2. And then there's House MD. Oh, yeah, that's a show. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, Geist tortures Roughhouse and... That's where we leave. Uh, we we exit the issue with Wolverine climbing up the side of the ship, saying, "This is a sound that I've never heard before. The sound of Roughhouse screaming." Dun dun dun. It's a good setup. It's okay. Um, this is these are not as good. These issues of Wolverine in this section are kind of my least favorite issues of Wolverine. What are you gonna do? I just yeah. I don't know. Marvel Comics present. We got two stories in this one. Oh man, we got the Excalibur story, which finishes up the uh, the thing that they're doing with all the Looney Tunes. Uh, it turns out that the main bad guy is, of course, Arcade, which I think you guessed in the first episode. Woo! Nailed it. And uh, Kitty puts together a group of the remaining Looney Tunes, who she calls the Merry Maladies, and they fight and beat the Looney Tunes. And then, um, yeah, that's the end of that. Then there's a Wolverine story, which is by uh, John Buscema, who I like John Buscema's Wolverine a lot. I think he did the first 10 issues of either Marvel Comics Presents or Wolverine, or maybe that was Cell Buscema. I don't know. I get confused with the Buscema Rose. Um, But they both do a good Wolverine, and I think because they were my first issues of Wolverine, it's what I most associate with Wolverine. Silvestri does a very similar type of Wolverine. Um, the story was okay. It's a, it's another story that has a good, good voice of Wolverine down. Wolverine's in Hong Kong for some reason. And uh, he sees that there is a plot of land that has been erased. And so he goes to investigate. And then some people come along and loot it. And they're trying to kill a bunch of cops who are in their way to uh, of looting. Wolverine helps out the cops and then runs away because he doesn't really want to deal with it. And um, we never really find out why he's in Hong Kong. But I guess that that's this is an eight part or so. We'll find out next issue. Well, he's Wolverine. He's got his patch on. He does have his patch on. Is this, do you think, the return to Marvel Comics Presents always featuring a Wolverine story? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So they, they tried, like, oh, let's do all these other X characters. Oh, it's not selling so well. But Wolverine back in. Probably. Yeah. Or or maybe they just had another Wolverine story that they wanted to tell, and then the numbers were, like, so much higher in this one. They were like, let's just keep Wolverine in here. Yeah, it's a good uh, possibility. When do we get to Weapon X? What issue is that? That's quite a while. Oh, okay. I think maybe 75 is one of them. So we're at 38. So it'll be a while. Yeah. All right. Sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. I know you're upset. I know you're really looking forward to that one. 
Maybe we'll do that one as a one-off episode. I'm pretty sure I own all of those issues. Me too, although I think I also own them in collections, so I'll probably just read it. I actually, I have actually gone back and reread that as one sitting, and um, I think it's more interesting as one than it was as a weekly. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because I feel like, I think I always felt a little ripped off, right? Because you're paying like a buck twenty-five and reading like eight pages and not really paying attention to any of the other stories. At least I don't recall paying attention to any of the other stories. I feel like they were doing ghostwriter stories at the time, so oh, I was kind of like into that. Yeah. Um, but any of the other stories, I couldn't tell you what there was. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. That's a uh, that's an episode. Sure is, man. <laughs> That was our 299th episode. Our next episode was our 300th. We were going to do something special, but we're on a lockdown, so we're probably not going to do something special. I don't know, Adam. This, this, I mean, to, to just seal this episode in history, it's late March when we're recording, but I don't think that this episode actually actually will come out until late April. So our four. 300th episode will probably be early May and all of this is irrelevant because we have, who knows who knows yeah it it could be a very special episode Adam we we might be you know hunkered up in our basements I don't know who knows do you ever think like that the end of the world would just be people trapped in their houses uh, like is is that a and I'm not obviously I don't think this is the end of the world but uh, or I wouldn't be doing this podcast probably uh, <laughs> but I mean like are there any sci-fi stories where the end of the world is just people in their houses? Uh, I mean there's uh, <laughs> there's that that Will Smith movie that well, was that's just him by himself though right but like when he goes outside or something about light. I don't remember. Um, but no, I'm, getting... I'm wondering if there are stories of like where people are just isolated in their own houses and it's just like, that's, that's it. That's just how it is. Like the world is that way now and everybody has to live separately in their houses. I had an idea for uh, a story uh, and I'm giving it away for free. Uh, and who knows, it may actually come to fruition, but it's more or less based on the times that we're living in uh, with, with, I don't know, a little bit, a little bit of a twist. And, and, and here, here is, here it is, Adam, uh, a virus, uh, plagues the earth as is happening. Uh, and young people are immune from it, which not really happening right now, but there's a lot of young people that feel like that's the case. But in my sci-fi universe, young people are completely immune to it, but they're carriers of it, but they're super selfish and they still do all the things that they want to do. Uh, and they, they end up, uh, destroying generations above them and so now they're kind of forced to live in this world so, so now it's like 20 years later uh and, and all of the knowledge and the like the older scientists and doctors and engineers and architects and all that sort of stuff they're all gone because due to their selfishness uh they transmitted the disease and they couldn't cure it fast enough and, and they're all dead and so you have basically all of these millennials 20 years later in a world that that doesn't have all of that older knowledge or kind of the natural progression of knowledge uh, transferring from, you know, an older generation to a younger generation to a younger generation to a younger generation. Um, that's the that's the the 
canvas. I don't know what the actual story would be, but I feel like, you know, with that as a backdrop, you could have a pretty interesting uh, story or universe or world going on where, you know, who knows? Like, did, did everything like crumble and fall apart because the kids couldn't figure out how to make it work or did they figure it out? And do they carry like a ton of guilt because their parents and grandparents were arguably killed by their selfishness? In the, in the, the, Pandemic fiction that I have read, there is always a kind of uh, loss of knowledge, which is it's it's interesting how there's a lot of way that people look at old people's knowledge and, and how how much knowledge was lost. Not necessarily old people, but like uh, prior people, I guess. Yeah, well, it seems it, it seems like a common theme of like pandemic fiction. Yeah, well, I mean, if you just and I don't know if you look out at the the real world, uh, you will tend to have, and I think we can maybe have seen this in our lives as we are now entering the older phase of our lives. Uh, you know, when you're young, you're like, I can do everything and I know everything and I'm smart. And then as you get older, you're like, man, I don't know anything. <laughs> there's so much thing. There's so much I don't know. And then you see that young person coming along like, I know what I'm doing. You're like, Man, you have you have no idea what you're in for. But if you take away that kind of older mentor kind of guidance and just let people like do that, like an entire generation, like what do you think comes later? Civilization will always continue going on. And I don't think it'll ever be like a Night of the Living Dead scenario where, you know, everybody's just living in their basements eating out of cans. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen by any stretch, but. I don't know. Just, I, wonder, I wonder if we're about to get a onslaught of pandemic movies. Well, and that's the other thing I wondered is like, how long before we get the COVID-19 movie? Now, it can be long, but it would be so boring. It's just like people stayed in their houses. <laughs> no, here's what I'm imagining. Did you see, oh man, I'm, uh, the, what was, oh, Max Brooks's book, The <laughs> Zombie Survival Guide. Oh, World War Z. World War Z. Uh, did you see that movie? I did not. No, the movie's not good, uh, in my opinion. But I imagine that's why I didn't see it. In that, in the book, it's a really, it's it's a decent book in in that it's it's vignettes of this. So imagine the the world I just described, uh, and and then writing short stories with that as the backdrop. World War Z is basically that. Like the zombies have taken over. Here are the rules of the zombies. And now you've got like a, a survival story in New York City and a survival story in the jungle and a survival story on a boat and in Jerusalem and here and there. And none of the stories outside of it happening in, in the same time frame as the zombie apocalypse are connected. Nobody's related. Nobody calls each other. It's just these little stories. Uh, and it's it's mostly it's kind of done in the like like um, if somebody were to take journal pages from all over the world and just like slam them together. That's what World War Z the book is. Now, obviously, from a narrative perspective, you can't make that movie. <laughs> so what they did was they made, uh, I can't even remember who the lead actor was. I feel like it was Tom Cruise. It was, but it was Brad Pitt. It was Brad Pitt. You're right. Uh, they made him like kind of like circling the globe, collecting all these clues and connecting all these dots. Uh, and so like one scene, he'd be in America. And then the next scene, he'd be in Europe. And then in the next scene, he's like in Africa. Uh and it was, I don't know, it was bad. <laughs> so uh, I imagine that's the COVID-19 movie of like one scientist, Dr. Fauci, 
He's picking up the <laughs> clues and solving the mysteries and keeping the president at bay. And he Whereas has... the, the, the book is, is, like you said, is all these unrelated stories taking place within a single house. And uh, there's all this ominous news happening outside and then nothing happens. <laughs> That's a boring book, Adam. It could, and not necessarily. It could be a very interesting book. It could be all about the internal drama. Ooh, sure, sure. I mean, you know, obviously something happens, but it it could just be like it. It couldn't. There couldn't be. There could be mostly stories that don't have disease in the stories, but people are trapped in their houses because of this ominous disease outside. I don't know. It's just interesting. It's just food for thought. Sure, sure. In one of the stories. It's a, uh, it's kind of a, not a rural community, but like a, like a smaller subdivision on the outskirts of a larger town where the internet's not so great. And so they have limited bandwidth and the family slowly goes mad because each one of them is taking up the bandwidth as they try to watch their own <laughs> Netflix show. And finally one of them snaps and says, you need to turn your stuff off because I can't watch my stuff in high definition. <laughs> uh. <laughs> there, that, that's the story that's in that book. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then a lot of uh, a lot of FaceTime videos where like the audio and the video keeps cutting out and people start throwing their iPod pads against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Damn technology doesn't work when there's a pandemic. There. That doesn't that doesn't seem to be uh proving the case. I mean how you you would have never I would have never expected to say, Yeah, I, I just kept recording my podcast through the pandemic. <laughs> Uh, no, it's not happening, but you have to like, you have to spice up these stories a little bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, Adam, um, I don't have anything else. No, no, me neither. Uh, until next time, my name's Adam. My name's Jeremy. The danger room is closed. Wait, why did I end it? Do I always end it? <laughs> you don't, but I liked it. It was so natural. <laughs> We're keeping it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you did that like you were on a mission. Like we're ending this now. Yeah.